0: Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life.
1: So buckle up and don't be shy. Cause yep, we're We're going going there. there. Okay, hello. We are back with another fun Going There episode. Today we have our new friend, Anne Lynn with us. Hi,
2: welcome to Going There. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Christian and Samantha. I am so happy to be here. Yeah,
1: we're excited to talk with you about your upcoming book and all the things that you're involved in. So could you just go ahead and start out by introducing yourself, tell everyone kind of who you are, what you're known for, what you enjoy doing, a little bit about your life?
2: Yeah, so my name is Anne Lynn. I am from LA. I create devotional videos on YouTube for a living, but now also breaking into my author career, writing books about mental health and faith while using home decor and interior design as like the ongoing metaphor among all of my works. So you can find me on all the social pages and that would be my corgi (laughs) trying to say hi behind me. We love
0: it. We love it. Yeah. There it is. That's my platform. That's awesome.
2: Okay, so tell us a little
1: bit more about how you got started on YouTube with your devotionals, or was it more of your interior design sharing all of that on Instagram? What came first and how did that really grow and take off?
2: Yes. So I originally got into Instagram on accident. It wasn't until I moved out of my mom's house due to having a ton of like problems at home that I decided to create a beautiful space for myself with whatever resources that I had. And I just snapped a photo and put it on my personal Instagram, thinking that my friends and family would probably find it exciting, but instead it kind of went viral. And then that was when I had the thought, wow, this could be a really fun hobby. And then the hobby... Slowly snowballed into being kind of like a second income. And then I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my career at that point, but it did start replacing my day job income. So I thought maybe I should give it an honest shot. And I quit my day job and then pursued just creating beautiful spaces on Instagram full time. But I couldn't find a natural way to incorporate my faith in a way that made it feel more fulfilling for me. So I took a month off of just my social media work to dive into different skill sets that I could possibly use to share the gospel more effectively. And that was when I discovered that YouTube would be the perfect platform to talk about Jesus and my faith in a deeper way, while still incorporating all of these beautiful visuals, and perhaps even using them as metaphors for the stories that I was telling. So that was when I decided to really put all my eggs in one basket, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to anyone unless they really feel like the Lord is calling them So certainly. And that's what I felt. I felt like this season is the season where I have to go all in on pursuing this new way of sharing the gospel. Otherwise, I would be doing a disservice to the talents that he gave me. So, knowing that, I sold my car.
0: Wow. Oh my god. And
2: with that money, yeah, I went all in. I sold my car, me and my boyfriend at the time just broke up, and I decided to use that savings to move into this high-rise apartment in downtown because I felt as soon as I saw the apartment that this was where I was supposed to create a garden. Just this juxtaposition between the desolate metropolis and the lush garden that I felt like I was called to steward and I moved it in as soon as I could, started the garden, created my first video and it was doing okay considering it was the first YouTube video I ever made. But the second video was what completely took off and launched my YouTube career. And it was such a interesting like culmination of mental health, faith and home design that I personally had never seen like models for me before, but for some reason it just worked. And I found the very niche audience who found me actually. And from then on, I just created this kind of cozy corner on the internet for myself and the people who needed that kind of healing. That's amazing. Wait, so what year was that? That was 2019. So pretty recent. Oh, wow. So
1: what <laughs> yes. does that feel like to go from, okay, I'm just going to post this little, this picture of this little space that I'm proud of that I've created to now all of these people follow along with your interior design or your devotionals. What does that feel like? Has there been certain changes in your daily life of like, oh yeah, people are watching me do
2: this. It still feels a little unreal. I will have to say, because there's that, strange parasocial relationship where you don't really see the people who follow you face to face, but they see your face all the time and they feel like they know you. And so most of my days are spent alone in my office and my husband works in his office. So it's truly like a one woman show over here. I'm behind the camera. I'm in front of the camera. I'm interacting in the comments by myself. So it does feel strange that I get to do creative things that glorify God for a living. It does feel extremely surreal. And I don't know what I would have done if I were born like before the internet existed. <laughs> you know. Well, That's
0: props awesome. to you though, because yeah. I feel like that is so awesome on going there all the time. We talk about that once you become a Christian, the gospel transforms the way that you do and think and just act out in life. And I think it's awesome that you have found a way. You're saying like, hey, God's given me these talents what does that look like for me to steward them well? And you obviously made some really courageous decisions to follow that through, but just awesome because now you have you know a shop where you sell some things, you have your whole YouTube channel, like all these things that God has just given you and now becoming an author. That's just awesome. So all of the things that you're doing to glorify him. That's amazing. Very cool. What a
2: blessing it is. Aww. It's such
0: a blessing. That's awesome.
1: Okay, so talk to us a little bit about your childhood and how your story kind of paved the way for all that God has taught you in life since then.
2: Yeah, wow. Childhood. A small question (laughs) to start off. For all of us, I'm sure. Yes. For all of us. And this is precisely why you're called Going There, because it all comes back right to one's childhood. I was actually born in Vietnam, in the outskirts of Saigon, a very rural district where even Native Vietnamese people have never heard of. <laughs> and so I grew up pretty poor. We were like in pretty heavy poverty for the first few years of my life. Not that I have like memory of it, but that's what my parents said and the photos that I've seen of my old home. It was literally like a hut. It was very surreal to think that I came from there and now I'm here in California doing what I'm doing. But my childhood was just filled with transitions, I will have to say. The biggest one being moving from Vietnam to Pasadena. And then from there on, just moving all over L.A., anywhere we can to make ends meet. And so I was no stranger to being in transition and the stresses and chaos that comes from that, even at a young age, seeing my parents get into fights about finances all the time and having to start over so many times and yet still having that resilience to make something of themselves despite having to start over so many times. So on the one hand, it did create a lot of anxiety in me as a child to be in an ever-shifting environment. But on the other hand, I was also taught how to quickly adapt to being in constant transition. And so once I was able to support myself and move out, as every kind of like yuppie or like young professional does here in L.A., we move around a lot. Like as soon as the lease is up, we're looking for a different apartment. And so I found it to be pretty normal. And I was quick to adapt to all the changes that life threw my way. But honestly, if it weren't for Jesus encountering me back in high school, I probably would not have been alive here today. And that's a whole different story of how he healed me from my trauma and truly encountered me when I wanted nothing to do with him and just gave me an experience that was undeniably divine. And I wrote a little bit about that in my book, Forever Home, as well.
0: Yeah, I want to jump into that because obviously you are now publishing a book and it will be coming out really soon here, but it's available for pre-order and we'll talk more about that. But you titled this Forever Home. So tell us about that because obviously you talk about your childhood some in the book and how it's kind of paved the way for where you are today. So talk to us about that. Why did you choose that title? What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, so the original title was actually called Safe House because of the double entendre of it being a place of refuge and also just a house that is emotionally safe. But then we tested it out on some audiences and it tested in the thriller
0: genre. Oh, and okay. Not what, <laughs> You're we like not going what I'm for. going for people. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I'm like, okay. I kind of see why it did that. So we changed the name to forever home, which was, I felt so much more fitting because at the time that I was writing the book, I was also renovating my first ever home, the one that you see here. And so construction and home remodeling was very top of mind for me. And so naturally, I used the analogy of building a house from scratch to talk about how to rebuild your life after trauma, starting from the demolition, right? Just getting rid of all of the old, all of the things that you were used to, all the things you have to unlearn to get rid of it. And you could feel like you're in such a chaotic state and everything looks so totally beyond repair when you're in the demolition phase. But you just have to have faith that if you don't tear down the old, you can't rebuild something new and better. And so once you tear down the old, the next step is the foundation, which is the first section of the book. And when I talk about foundation, I'm really talking about rebuilding a foundation upon God's love, a foundation that you can rest on in times of grievance in times of stress and chaos where you can feel secure in your relationship with god and let that carry you through to the next step which is erecting the framing and the framing is what i used to what i use as a metaphor for boundaries boundaries are what helps you to keep the good in and keep the bad out. And that's what the framing of your house does. It creates structure for you and the people around you. And it's really for protection, not punishment, which is what we mistake boundaries to be a lot of times. And once you have the framing done and everything looks good, you start putting the drywall in or like the electricals and all of that. And then comes the inspections period. And when I was going through my home renovation, I dreaded inspections because I just want to be done. And inspectors take weeks and weeks to get back to you with results and Many times they don't approve what you've done. So you have to tear everything out We redo it. So it does take a long time and it takes a lot of patience. But the inspector that I wanted out all of us to invite into our lives is the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't have that spirit to search our hearts and look into the areas of our lives that we might be blindsided by, we would essentially be allowing ourselves to risk reliving a lot of the patterns that we've tried so hard to unlearn in the past. And so with the Holy Spirit as our inspector, even if he slows down our progress, and even if we feel like God is delaying, he actually isn't. He's trying to make sure that we have a life of integrity. And then finally is the adornment phase. You know, when your house is past inspections and you're ready to move in this is the part where everyone looks forward to you get to decorate your house and your life with people and things that reaffirm who you want to be in this season and just restore the beauty that God promised you and surround yourself with that beauty. So that is the essence of Forever Home and why I decided to write a book using the analogy of rebuilding a house from scratch.
0: So if you can't tell already, you have a beautiful way oh even when yeah. I was just looking at the book and just kind of looking at how you organized it. I'm a very visual learner and I was just reading through all the headers and the subheaders and the chapter titles that I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Like I already understand kind of of just like where you're going to take us. And it was awesome to see how, again, you have taken what you have learned, how God has paved your life story to say like, no, this is how we can build a foundation on God and like then we can move up from that it was just really cool you did a great job and it was a really beautiful piece so thank
2: you
1: we love a good analogy and I'm just sitting here as the Holy Spirit as the inspector I just won't forget that and I think you just yeah like Christian said did such a cool job of like explaining like the role of the Holy Spirit in our life and how we kind of go through that tension of that doesn't always feel great to recognize our sin and I feel like in my walk as a Christian for sure over years of walking with Jesus now it's like just when you think you've kind of overcome a certain sin struggle or gotten past a trauma as you're talking about, it's like, OK, now I'm past that. And then like another thing kind of pops up and it's sometimes frustrating. But that is kind of our like goal in sanctification to know Jesus better, to look more like him as we continue through life. So I love that.
0: In your book, you talk a lot. You have a whole section. Obviously, you've talked about you kind of started writing this because you wanted people to have a platform of how do we move forward after really traumatic things in our past, our childhood, our experiences that could even be experiences in adulthood. It doesn't have to be your childhood. But you talk a lot about the importance of not skipping over pain, that there's a process in the pain. There's purpose in the pain. But why do you think as humans, sometimes we're just so conditioned to just want to skip this part not rest in that pain? Like, talk to us about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I totally get it, right? Like, and I used to think that not having pain at all would be even better than having God by my side through the pain. But I learned that true love doesn't always shield us from pain. What true love or what God does is that he equips you to heal the pain and then turn it into purpose. And in my book, I explain how You can't really skip the pain to get to the healing you just have to what they call feel it to heal it because otherwise you would be avoiding it and you're just delaying it for later and in the meantime it leaks out in other ways than into your relationships and that's not what we want
0: Mm -hmm. I like that a lot it's easier obviously always said than done like all of us can say yeah I want a life of no pain but then you always hear and if you've experienced pain in your own life you know that like no having God next to you is like the sweetest part of that that he not only equips you to walk through that but he says like I'll be with you in that so like there is nothing to fear and that's an awesome picture how would you encourage someone who's like currently in that season of walking through pain what would you say to them today
2: Well, I would first affirm them that whether or not they want God there with them, he's choosing to be there for them anyway. And regardless of whether or not they have the faith, life is painful regardless. And whether or not we want the pain, it's going to come. And so when we are in pain, wouldn't we rather walk through it with somebody? Wouldn't we rather have the creator of all things the one who knows all things just be there to affirm us that he knows what he's doing and that he has great plans for us and that he's always going to use our pain to establish a greater plan for us so. I just want to encourage anyone who's like really struggling right now to not give up just because you're in the demolition phase where everything looks beyond repair, because that just means that you're in the right spot. Things are changing. If you're seeing the same things over and over again, then you're not moving forward, right? We want to do away with the old and let God help us build something new and better. And so you're in a painful process and it's going to take a long time, but the joy that is set ahead of you is so much more powerful than the pain that you're going through right now. So set your eyes on the joy before you and set your eyes on Jesus. He'll take you there. Awesome. Your
1: book is really filled with kind of this mixture of biblical wisdom, your personal experience, like your life story we were talking about earlier, and then a lot of practical definitions and descriptions of things. So can you talk with us a little bit about your desire? Why did you want to include all three of those things? And how will that translate to the reader and teach them along the way?
2: Yeah. The reason why I had to include all three elements is because I realized that all of us are just trying our best to get through life and we are just normal people not a lot of us have gone to seminary school not a lot of us have a degree in psychology we're just out here trying our best and i recognize that and i feel the exact same way so i felt like my greatest value add to anyone who reads this book is to have a friend who has put in the time that they might not have to learn about the things that can help them move forward from the pain that's holding them back. And so a lot of people don't have the time to read all of the best books or hear the best podcasts. But because I work for myself, I was able to dedicate years and years into just doing that personal research and tackling this from a more personal and layman's perspective. So I've combined all of these elements in the book because I wanted people to know that more than just walking away from trauma, that they can have what is called post-traumatic wisdom. They can actually allow the Lord to use their trauma and turn it into purpose and speak from a place of more empathy and understanding for others who might be going through the same thing so that ultimately we can all help each other and we can all create a more empathetic and Christ-like society.
0: I loved it because even as I was like reading through the book, my husband used to be a science teacher and he will tell you a lot of like how he found Jesus and really like validated like, no, this is true wisdom is because he's like, I had to do some really hard like searching of like, do I really believe this? Does this actually make sense? Because his mind just is more logical, more data analytic driven. And it's so interesting to me because I loved in your book, you give us definitions. You go back to research and you say, hey, these are people's experiences. This is what we found in the survey this is what the Bible says. And you use all of these things as combinations in that. I think sometimes when we read a book, that's like super fluffy, that's full of great wisdom from the Bible. Sometimes it's just really hard for our minds if we're not there to really see that and be like, no, this is truth. And I can believe that I can cling to it. And so for the person who's maybe not there yet, they can actually read like, no, these are studies or this is science or this is definitions backing these thoughts up that then also history and Jesus, like also prove. And so I thought it was just really encouraging in the way that you weave all those things together, giving anyone an opportunity to say, no, there is hope. There is love. There's transformation in your future. That's like possible because of Jesus, but here's all the ways it can be supported and actually seen too. So it was really awesome.
2: Yes. And Thank you. And that's what I love the more I learn about theology and the Bible. The more I see how you can really reconcile what's going on in the metaphysical with the physical, because just as how our mind and bodies and emotions and thoughts and all of that are interconnected and how our thoughts can actually affect our physical reactions in the same way, the metaphysical and the spiritual warfare that is going on manifest in the physical all the time and we like to compartmentalize things as humans and try to say oh no this is spiritual warfare and this is mental health but the more I'm learning about all of this the more I realize how related they are and it's not mutually exclusive one can be under like a spiritual influence and have that kind of like spiritual oppression and from that, have a more physical, mental health-like reaction to it. And that's what I really hope that people who read this book can start to see this kind of interconnection between everything under the sun, right? Everything that God creates, it's all connected. And in order for you to create a more holistic healing process, you have to consider all of these elements, the physical and the metaphysical. Hmm.
1: Well, you're so encouraging. I love hearing your wisdom. I think you do a really good job of just explaining it and make it make sense. And we joke all the time, you know, we have this podcast, but we don't have seminary degrees, and so while some people might look at that as less reputable, we kind of want to say like, no, we always want to welcome people in who know more than us that we can all learn from, and we're all just figuring this out together. And the way that each one of our brains work, it's so cool to hear like how different people learn or how different people are able to interpret scripture. So I love that you mentioned that. And okay, so one of our last questions was just wanting you to encourage someone in a harder, painful season. And I feel like you really did that well with that metaphor of just like, if you feel like you're in the, demo, you know, why can't I say this? Demolition. Word? Demolition. Stage. Demolition. It's hard like, to look forward to that hope in Jesus and he'll carry you. And I thought that was so beautiful. So I'm going to throw out a random question. So I didn't know where you were from when we got on here and you're from L.A. and you said that you met Jesus in high school in California. And I was just thinking as we were sitting here that we have listeners from all over. And I wondered, is it hard to find a community of believers in a place like L.A. where you have everyone coming? I've only been to LA like once. And I don't know a lot about the culture, but I'm assuming, you know, as far as like people going there to chase their dreams and all the different shiny things that you could chase there. What's that been like for you to find a community there and grow in your faith alongside others? And then how could you encourage maybe other people that live in similar places where they just feel like that's not a cultural norm, maybe like it is here in the Midwest or the South, like where we're kind of at?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And it is definitely very difficult to find the right community here, despite there being, you know, a great handful of churches, even in the downtown area, there's no shortage of churches. But I think what scares a lot of people away is one, the LA culture, thinking that it's extremely liberal or more on that front. And on the other hand, all of the churches seem to have different cultures and that's to be expected, but sometimes it is a very stark difference. Some churches are in schools, others are in nightclubs. Like we have some wild, you know, innovation. (laughs) An array of options. (laughs)
0: An
2: array of options. So it can feel very daunting to pick a home church or a community. And with that, I just wanna encourage people to start small start with small groups. If you don't feel connected to a church yet, don't leave just because there is no immediate spark or connection. Try to get to know the people through its small groups. And that's how you make a large church feel more intimate. I personally have a small group of my own, and I know that many of the churches around here follow that exact same Grouping or structure. And because of my small group, my 700 plus person church now feels like a family because every time we show up, we could at least see a handful of people who we got to walk through life with and who know our story. So start there, find a little support group for yourself and try to set roots there. And I think what really helped me as well is before I reached out to a church community, which are essentially a group of strangers, (laughs) I first thought it would be better for me to get to know one person first and feel safe with one person first. And I actually chose a therapist for that role because I just felt like whatever questions I had or whatever problems I wanted to present to them, they would be able to handle it well and give me a more educated answer rather than like going to a friend who might be stumped at the heaviness of the things I wanted to come to them with. So you can even do that when you go to a new city find a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, that's, someone that's good. Who could even do it virtually with you. Yeah. And start with that safe environment, that safe relationship. And once you feel comfortable having established this new friendship and relationship with your therapist or counselor, or even church leader, then it might give you the confidence to reach out to a group of strangers that you, you know, met at this church. So start small.
1: (laughs) I just find it really fascinating how different people in different parts of the country or world kind of just like practice, like we're all in the same mission, but it looks different practically. Like you're saying, like, we don't really have any nightclubs where we live. So like, you don't see any (laughs) churches in them. But I love that idea because it's almost like what you're talking about with the therapist is you're able to like practice and get better at vulnerability. And so then you feel more comfortable when you do maybe meet a girl at church or you try a new place, you feel a little bit more
0: confident and, opening up and
1: wanting to get to know someone deeper.
0: Yeah, it is so funny. I feel like when people get so intimidated, you got to jump into like a 700 person church and like, it's going to be the best because you're going to find all your best friends. It's like, no, it actually doesn't happen like that at all. And so, yeah, if you're out of practice and you don't have anyone in your life right now that you feel vulnerable or just like safe with, then you're going to have to practice that even just with one person, like you're saying, a therapist or a church leader, or just one person you sit next to, that that takes time and looks really different than what I think we normally kind of think. But uh, Ian, why don't you close this out? Obviously your book goes for sale later in September. Um, soon. But tell us a bit more. Where can people find it and exactly what date? And
2: tell about your YouTube and your shop and everything yeah, all that you're doing. Where can
0: we find <laughs> <Yeah>. Anne Lynn?
2: <laughs> wow. Thank you for creating space for me too share my plethora of creative projects. So my book, Forever Home, Moving Beyond Brokenness to Build a Strong and Beautiful Life, that book comes out on September 26th, and it should be found anywhere books are sold. So Target, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, et cetera. And yeah, I would love to hear the feedback from reading my life's work, essentially. So I would love for as many of the listeners out there to benefit from reading this book and share it with their friends and family. And hopefully it could be your greatest ally on your journey of healing. But I would love to read just a quote from the book, if you don't mind me doing. Please do. Because I just feel like, yeah, this quote, I feel like really sums up the heart of the book. And it says, you are not doomed to a miserable life because of your painful past. There is still hope for you, no matter what you did or what has been done to you. So truly, as you read this book, let it speak to your heart in ways that you might not have felt comfortable with before. Let the Holy Spirit soften your heart and use the wisdom of this book to create the life that you have always dreamt of.
1: Thank you so
2: much. You are so wise.
1: And we know our listeners are going to love hearing all of your wisdom and following along with you as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast.
1: And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon.